today we're going to talk about how to not just build trust within our fellowships, but how to rebuild trust. Sometimes rebuilding something, as we see in scripture, can have its own unique challenge. Todd and Patty serve as congregational evangelists and women's ministry leader for the Dallas-Fort Worth Church. Todd has a doctorate in chiropractic medicine and a master's in Christian ministry from Abilene Christian University. Patty has a degree in journalism from the University of Missouri. They served several churches in the Midwest prior to moving to Texas in 1996. They serve, uh, they have served in the full-time ministry for over 35 years. Guys, that's a long time. Todd and Patty were married in 1988. They have two sons, Blake, uh, and his wife, Erin, and they have their other son, Grant. Todd enjoys disc golf and spending time with friends. Patty enjoys yoga and cooking and is always trying new recipes. Todd, welcome to the channel. Thank you, Kyle. Looking forward to spending time with you. Absolutely. First, will you tell us a little bit about your conversion and why you went into the ministry? Ooh, well, that could be a long story right there. <laughs> so I was... I was reached out to in the early 80s um, by a brother uh, in the Chicago church when it just started. I think the Chicago church was probably about 30 members, different people that moved from all parts of the Midwest to start the Chicago Church of Christ. And I remember uh, a guy reaching out to me asking me if I'd like to come to church and I just moved to Chicago. And I was like, sure, great, I'd come to church. Um, and um, I really enjoyed it. It was at two o'clock in the afternoon, which was a killer. But uh, I really, um, I like the guy. He became a study partner uh, for school. And, you know, I like the church. I, I thought it was uh, heartsy. And, and, you know, one thing led to the other. I remember uh, Marty Fuquay asking me if I wanted to study the Bible. And I remember looking at him thinking, what the heck? I mean, people our age don't study the Bible. I, I thought he was crazy, and but I thought about it, and you know what? I was thinking about God. I actually, I still have a diary uh, from back then that probably about once a, once a week I'd write into it, and I remember over and over again, I'd say, man, something's wrong, something's just not feeling right, and after about two, three months of writing things like that, I put in there like, man, I know it's my relationship with God, um, just something's missing, and that, that's when they asked me to study the Bible. And so, you know, I'd love to sit there and say I was super humble and, and became a disciple right away. And, but I was, I was a, a toad. Um, I was immature and I just really had to go through some things. Uh, but eventually um, I became a disciple uh, in the early days of the Chicago church. And uh, it's been, it's been a, a great story, a great ride ever since. Um, I wanna, I actually wanna go to the second question first. Um, which is there are many factors that create security and trust between churches, okay? Okay, what are some keys to helping churches trust one another? But let me actually put a caveat in there. It's not just churches trusting one another, but people trusting one another who are within a fellowship. What are some keys that you would just start us off with in terms of uh, our understanding? Sure, no, I appreciate that. Well. I think, you know, a church is, is a bunch of people with a lot of stories. Mm. And I think what's really important is that you got to have good theology. And one of the things I think 
I've learned as I've gotten older is, is good theology is, is based on how God views us. For instance, I love Genesis. And so early Genesis, you can see God has a really high value of man. Um, so he loves man. Even the, even the ones who are really messing up, um, you know, Luke 15, uh, both sons, they're both messing up, but he loves both sons. He wants a relationship with both sons and he wants both sons to be unified, you know, connected relationally. Um, and I think for, for, for us as individuals, we have to really work hard on building great relationships, great friendships. In fact, I'll be talking about that at the small church workshop uh, in Dallas later this week. And so it's really no different from churches. One of the things I've seen is that you have to work on relationships in other churches and not just with the point person, uh, but with different layers of the church. And so, you know, the, the Dallas church, Patty and I have been here in the Dallas church now 24 plus years, and we love it here. Texas is our home. Uh, you know, we did a Midwest tour uh, up in Chicago and different cities in the Midwest, moved to, moved to uh, Chicago or moved to Dallas from Chicago. And I think, you know, the, some of the big churches in our fellowship back in like the 80s or specifically the 90s, I would say pillaged a lot of other churches, just took a lot of people, you know, from, from other regions of churches to build up, you might say, like the, the big mega churches. And, you know, when I started leading the Dallas church about 13, 14 years ago, I was like, you know, I want to change that. I want the Dallas church to be a giving church. And, and how can we support? How can we give? How can we build our family of churches? And so, you know, we've, we've really invested a lot uh, into the other Dallas, uh, other Texas churches, um, definitely the smaller ones. And, and it and it it's um it's attractive to other people. I know there's a family in in the Dallas church here that saw that, and they wanted to be on board with that. And so we started what we call the Campus Ministry Fund. And this couple basically gives anywhere from a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to help build campus ministries outside of the large churches in the Midwest and the Heartland churches. And their only requirement, their only ask was, can the big churches contribute to it? And I was like, absolutely. So, you know, we spoke to Houston, San Antonio, um, Kansas City, St. Louis. And like, guys, this family wants to help other churches and all they're asking for is us to participate, to give to it. And so I think between, you know, those two region of family churches, I think probably $300,000 a year are going towards small churches every year for the last, what, five, six years, maybe. And, you know, we've just real created, you know, how can we give? How can we give um, financially people? Um, St. Louis, not St. Louis, I'm sorry. Um, Kansas, um, New Orleans. Uh, Baton Rouge, Oklahoma City, Lubbock. Um, these are all churches uh, that we've sent people to uh, that have come out of Dallas. And, you know, San Antonio has also done that uh, with um, College Station. But how can we give? And I think when, when people know you love and you're really willing to serve and give to them with no strings attached, boy, that opens up doors of communication. 
we're able to talk. And I think that's what's, what's really helped us um, just really having a conviction. And our board knows this. Uh, our eldership knows this. I remember one time we were having a board meeting, golly, probably about five, six years ago. And one of my board members basically um, accused me of being Santa Claus. You know, always wanting to give gifts, wanting to give things away. Oh, and, and I looked at him and I, you know, I, I, I laughed about it and everyone laughed about it. But, you know, I think he was he wasn't too happy with me. But at the same time, I was like, amen. You know what? If I'm going to have a if I'm going to have a nickname or people going to look at me one way, I think Santa Claus is, is probably a good thing, you know, <laughs> willing to bring gifts. So, so I think, I think with that mindset now, we've created this really strong unity in Texas and the heartland, actually. You know, I'm really close to Vince up in St. Louis, uh, Kevin in Kansas City, um, Willie and Lawrence there oh, yeah. in Omaha with him. Um, it, it's, it's very close. And so when there's that spirit of, hey, I want the best for you, um, people want to be connected. So when I'm hearing you say a couple of key things, number one, you've got to have a good theology. I, and I'll just say in therapeutic terms, I believe that good theology is therapeutic. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people there, I would say their theology has needed some therapy, right? Sure, sure. And when we don't get the theology right, it affects how we think about growing and how we think about strengthening our churches. And so what I'm really hearing you say is, is you've got to start out with a good understanding of taking care of people, right? If God has a really high value on man, so should we. And so yeah. you get that when you go back. And then what I hear you saying is, is take care of those who are not maybe the size that you are, those who don't have some of the, the things that bigger churches have. Take care of each other. Don't pillage, mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't look for gain necessarily, right? Uh, especially if it comes at the expense. And those things can seem to, to last in people's memories for quite a while. And so I really appreciate what you're saying. Is that, is that am I getting part of what you're saying right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Totally believe that. And, and I think when, when you believe that and live it, then other people want to live it. And, and I think then you get more partners, more people that want to get on board and have that spirit, like the couple I mentioned uh, here in the Dallas church. And, and they want other churches to be involved. So it's, it, it builds a synergy. So one of the things that for our audience for a moment, this, I, I kind of just want to move throughout Christendom, right? We, we, we think about Christianity as a whole. One of the, the, the opposing forces that you find for a lot of fellowships is they're trying to strike a healthy balance of autonomy and unity, right? Togetherness and separateness. And we find that in psychology and family systems and all of that, that's actually what the challenge is there as well. This is, this right. is, a, this is a human condition issue of togetherness and separateness, autonomy and unity. What are some important factors to consider as we try to keep a balance of those two? Because how we do that builds or breaks down trust. Oh, boy. You know, the thing about this time like this, our time is short, and we can write books on this topic and, and spend whole weeks in discussion on this. So, again, getting back to the good theology, you know, I love John's theology, um, the Gospel of John, his epistles, the Revelation. And... And you see Jesus 
Jesus praying in John 17 is, um, you know, praying for all the future believers and unity was top of the list. You know, love is top of the list, certainly bearing fruit top of the list. And I think the, the challenge we have is when we start being overly concerned about autonomy, we're asking the wrong questions. Um, something is wrong. You know, it's like a marriage. If the husband says to the wife, well, you know, hey, I'm the husband. You need to respect me. You know, that's a desperate move. And he's in some ways, he's already lost the battle. Um, he's lost the discussion. And wow, something, deeper, um, something much deeper needs attention. And so in my mind, it, successful unity between churches is all about relationships and collaboration. You know, why, why we do need some structure, unity doesn't come by a hierarchy or a position. It's all about love relationship, mutual respect. And I think a lot of that was born out of Patty and I's history and some of the things that we went through uh, younger, as we were younger. And, and then again, good theology. What's God's view? What's God want? We, you know, my wife and I became disciples. We're going to do it Jesus's way. And during the time, our first 10 years in the church, uh, well, actually, I should say first 10 years in the full-time ministry, because it took a few years of me graduating uh, from chiropractor school before I went full-time. But Patty and I were involved in actually two church splits. We, we, we saw two churches split. And, you know, these situations were incredibly painful, but they created um, deep convictions in us about unity you know years ago um back in the early um, 2000s um you know the dallas church was going through a difficult time and we lived out in like fort worth south fort worth and people came to us and asking hey you know do we should we split off or they were actually encouraging us to split off from the dallas church and start our own our own ministry and we actually could have done it pretty easily but we refused to because we had seen the pain and the spiritual devastation that the church splits caused. Um, at that time, we were very unhappy and might have split off if we haven't developed the convictions that we had about unity and the horrors that we experienced in the church splits. And if we had done that then, that rebellious thing, in my mind, um, you can imagine what it would have done to the Dallas church as a whole perhaps its effect on Texas as a whole, and even my wife and I's spiritual walk, um, we would be more isolated and, and distrustful. And so, you know, we, we, I think we really developed very strong convictions about, okay, relationships. We're going to work on our relationships. We're going to work how we love. We're going to work how we communicate. Um, you know, we, we want to do it Jesus's way and not the world's way. And so, again, I'm not trying to build my own empire. I'm trying to build God's kingdom. And so it's right. not about what, it's not about who's right. It's what's right. I don't have to be right. I don't care if I'm right. I just want what's right. And, and so I'm not tied up into, okay, well, my opinion or what I think or what people think about me. I don't care. And so I love having a group of, wow. of men and women around me who are opinionated and they have a lot of thoughts 
And I'm like, I want to hear those thoughts because many advisors, victory is sure. And if you shoot straight with me and I know you love me and you love the church, then, okay, let's brainstorm. What's the best idea, not who it comes from. And so, so I think that's, that's the thing that the whole autonomy and structure unity, I, I think, again, it goes back to love and relationships, mutual respect, um, not, I want to stiff arm you. Um, I want to, I'm only going to trust you as far as I can throw you is like, no, you're my brother. And we're, we're here to seek and save a lost world. And how can we do this together and build God's kingdom together? So those are some of my feelings. Well, I think cooperation between churches just makes sense when you, to your point, when you have the right heart, there are other organizations that link up. I mean, it's a natural thing to try to cohere to the people around you to try to get a greater mission done. When I think about not getting too much into the weeds, but the Christian Missionary Alliance, when you look at certain uh, certain alliances across you know, Christian fellowships, they're able to grow really quickly when they decide to trust people. And that's almost an active ingredient. And that's not just exclusive to any particular fellowship. What you see is that that's kind of the trend. And uh, some of these, you know, uh, groups, these alliances, they are getting new churches self-sufficient, self-supporting within 19 months. And wow. and part of how they're doing it, too, I think this is something that's important is, and I don't want to turn this too much into a church building podcast, but when you think about building through the community versus the command center, it's a completely different feel. So the, the days, and I've been saying this on my podcast, the days of the command center are over. I think that when you look at what COVID has done, which I, I do lament a bit, a little bit of that collective aspect. Um, I like when regions get together. I like when fellowships get together and you can just see this wall of people that God has saved and it feels unbelievably nourishing. And yet we realize that when you think about the sustainability of fellowships, people heal better in community. And it's harder to reach people when you're not in their community. The fact is people heal better when they are in community. And so I think that what's coming, and I call me crazy, a little bit of blessing in disguise, this pandemic is, I think to some degree, making us focus more on the community. And if we do that, I think part of what we then do is we build trust where people are at. We're going to them instead of the expectation that they just come to us. Anyway, that's that's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a rabbit hole. But I think as far as building trust, it's really through community. It's going to someone's school. It's it's going to someone's concert. And then you see the parents. And, and that's that's almost where things are going. It's kind of hard to build trust. And you can't. Don't get me wrong. But you can to, to build trust in five minutes, inviting someone to church. Amen. The reality is, is that you're probably going to have to get in people's life. And, and I know part of this is about building trust within the fellowship. But I think even when we think of building trust with people we're trying to reach out to, I think it's be important that we that people have access to us, that people that we're transparent. And I, I got to be honest, Todd, I really love the transparency that I'm, I'm getting from you even today. It feels it feels very refreshing uh, just to see how transparent you are. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Um. You've weathered many storms as a minister. Uh, you know, I one of the things that you've seen, and I appreciate you mentioned the church split there. You've seen people within a fellowship 
struggle to get along. You know what that's like to try to get people to have the right hearts. You know what it's like to preach a sermon and maybe even preach past certain people. Um, you know what it's like to have people in your fellowship that have quite a bit of influence that if they're not, let's say, healed on something or there's beef going on with other folks, it can create quite a bit of dissension. As we see in Philippi, you know, Paul writes with Yoda and Syntyche, they had quite a bit of, bit of pull. This is a big deal. And so getting people to trust one another within fellowships, I have to imagine as an evangelist is vital, is absolutely essential. What are some things that you want to say about that? Yeah, wow, that's a big one too. Um, so one of the things I think I've seen, you know, just weathering the storms and, and you know, the Dallas church now is just under 1300 members. When we started leading it, it was about, I don't know, 750, 770. So over the last 10 years, we've almost doubled, yeah. uh, which is which is very encouraging. And I remember, golly, about 12, 13 years ago, we moved up to the central part of the Dallas church, the north part, um, where we call it. And this was what I would probably classify as the, the epicenter of the old heartland, you know, the, you know, the where it all began, it kind of vibrated out all the way up to Kansas and, you know, beyond. Um, and, you know, the, this group of people were the people that were left were, were some of the most talented, gifted um, people in the church, older disciples, um, maybe empty nesters or, or, you know, older kids, they've seen things. They were, they were converted to Jesus and they didn't leave. They didn't move. They didn't fall away. They were still here, but man, a lot of them were just bitter, um, angry, just, just, you know, just stupid things have happened, uh, in the church, in the kingdom. And, you know, in some ways they're asking themselves, you know, was this a lie, you know, being a disciple, making that, making those sacrifices they did when they were in their twenties and thirties. And, you know, so that's the environment that Patty and I moved back up into, uh, into the church. And it was it, honestly, Kyle, it was almost like no one wanted to be our friend for a couple of years. In fact, the, the person who probably was the most fired up that we moved back up into this part of the church, passed away in a parasailing accident. Uh, yes, I remember hearing about that. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, it was it was absolutely terrible. Margaret Beeman, who who was just a huge proponent of us moving uh, back up into the Northwest uh, group, and and she passed away, and it just ripped the guts uh, out of the church, especially this part of the church. We actually in Three months, we had four people pass away. And this is like 12 years ago. And I think, Kyle, it's like, you know, we weren't going anywhere. We love the Dallas church. We love those people. And, and I knew a lot of these people were hurt and bitter, frustrated, angry. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to love you. I'm going to be your friend. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving. And, and I had to become more and more vulnerable myself about what I was going through or where Todd was at. And the bizarrest thing happened, you know, besides Margaret passing away and the other people passing away, 
probably about 12 years ago on a Monday morning, I get an email and basically the email said, hi, you know, my name is Mary Kay. And if you're Todd Asad, we might be related. And, and I usually wake up, clean my face, go get my coffee and sit down and read <laughs> this time. I just, for whatever reason, I went straight to my email and I read it first. I don't know. The coffee wasn't ready. And I mean, after reading an email like that, who needs a cup of coffee? And so I, I emailed this woman back and said, well, Colleen Assad is my mother and um, we might be related. I forgot to mention that. She said, if Colleen Assad is your mother, we might be related. And so like two hours later, this woman emailed me again and it turns out she was a biological aunt. And so, you know, long story is, you know, the Dallas church was probably at a point that we were separating. We were in three regions, you might say, and we were just kind of going our own ways. And we invited uh, two people to come in and evaluate the Dallas church kind of, Hey, outside eyes, come in, interview people, interview the staff our eldership. What do you see? And my mother was actually visiting us the same week. And so all this came together and a Monday morning, I get contacted from my biological aunt of my, my sister of my biological father that I never met before in my life. And so I knew I had a father out there, a biological father, but I never met him. And I was 48 years old. Oh my goodness. And yeah, that day, every couple hours, we'd go back and she goes, let's talk tonight. We, she and I spoke, I think for six hours on Monday night. And I was out in my driveway. My mom's inside the house kind of wondering what's going on. Patty's talking to her, keeping her entertained. I'm meeting my aunt, talking to her on the phone. And she's just sharing with me the family, what, who, you know, my background, my father, my family, just everything, you know. And, and you know, your dad's going to do right by you, blah, blah, blah. Just, just all sorts of stuff. Well, Fast forward, um, I start preaching and I start sharing about this on Sundays. And it's almost like you're watching a episode of a, some sort of drama, you know, a sitcom, not a sitcom, but like a, a show that, you know, it only lasts for 30 minutes a day or 30 minutes once a week, 40 minutes, my sermons. And, and I'm sharing all this story every week for like, like, two months with, with the Northwest region. And, you know, long story short, you know, we're, we're, I finally meet my biological father on the phone, actually, we talk, and that's, that's a whole story in of itself. But about two, three weeks later, we're talking probably every other day, every three days for like 10 minutes. I think he was ADD, probably struggled with anxiety. He could only talk for like 10 minutes emotionally, and then he had to get off. And, and I think he was kind of little bites before big bites. We had a plan to go visit uh, in like uh, November. Uh, a few weeks later, he doesn't pick up the phone. And I'm like, man, he didn't he usually picks up the phone every time we talk on like Sunday night. Tuesday, he calls me back, say, hey, Todd, I'm really sorry. I had 
pains in my chest and man, I couldn't, I had to go to the hospital and I'm sitting there talking to him thinking, dude, do not die before I meet you. And sure enough, like a week later or yeah, a week later, he has a hemorrhagic stroke. Um, we fly up there, I meet our family. Um, he ends up passing away before I can actually talk to him in person. And so emotionally I'm going through all this stuff. The church is going through all this stuff and I'm sharing about it from the pulpit. I'm talking to the church, about 300 people in the Northwest region. And this is a group that hadn't grown in years. And I think one baptism in two years mm. and I'm sharing with them our story and they're eating it up. Mm -hmm. um, and emotionally, I mean, we're just connected. And that was 12 years ago. And this group is happy, doing great. We split into two different groups now, two worship centers. And I think overall the whole, it's like that with the whole church. Our elder, we got 10 elders now, um, phenomenal board, um, a big staff, six different worship centers, very diverse. Um, young, old, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, it, it's it's just, it's a little bit of heaven. It's a gift. And I think, Kyle, to your point, I think learning how to be patient with people, but deeply love people yeah. and be willing to be patient. Because again, good theology realizes that we're all broken. Mm. We all got issues. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get, um, I'm not going to get impatient or I'm not going to, my oversensitive, I'm going to be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be patient and we're going to work it out and it's going to take some time. And, and I could share tons of stories, but at the end of the day, I think that's what's really helped build that trust between the members and the ministers is, is, is learning how to be vulnerable and open and take the time to communicate because 99% of the body wants to be disciples. Mm -hmm. and there might be one one person that has mental illness or deep issues that you just can't work through and that's fine it'll be obvious but at the end of the day people want to be disciples and so if you take the time and really talk to people um the dividends are huge well let me just say i i, I personally feel touched by what you shared and being vulnerable uh, and i'm really glad that you shared that with your people when I look at the prophets, when I look at the, the Bible writers, they were very real about what was going on in their lives. When I look at Paul, I think about his prison, chain of prison letters. He was very open. He would solicit people for prayer. He'd solicit people for support. He was open. This veneer of togetherness wasn't necessary and, and really isn't even biblical. The veneer, the, the, the posture that we can be in when we're pretending, when we're hiding. <laughs> and so I very much appreciate that. And just thank you for that. And, and I, my heart does go out to you. I think about a lot of our ministers, side note, A, have had really hard relationship with their fathers or many of our ministers, I've, I actually want to track it statistically. Many of our ministers, uh, their fathers died. That's like a theme that you find. Uh, and that, yeah. that, there's just certain themes that you see with, with family of origin. Anyway, 
I want to I go back to something just for a moment as it relates to, to building trust between ministers and members. I recently was on a podcast with Rob Skinner. He invited me on I, for our audience for a moment. Go check out Rob Skinner's podcast. He has a phenomenal job and he has an incredible podcasting voice. <laughs> I don't have his voice, but he has his voice. Anyway, one of the things I talked about on it was taking the long view on people. That yeah. you have what makes a community safe and what makes them right. nurturing and able to mature people is that you become a part of a community that takes the long view on a person that sees people not just as a they don't just have the ability to to make a mess they can be a mess and there's nothing about what you shared todd that was clean you know when we looked at the scriptures it, the story is not clean of redemption the story is not clean of discipleship even repentance is chaotic sometimes yeah. um, but taking the long view on people seems to be one of those in, essential ingredients and now here, here's what I want to add since last time I, I told Todd that, right? Taking the long view on people and, and they, they're a process. I think it's also important to take a long view on ministers. <laughs> and I just think sometimes we do a short view on ministers, but then there's this expectation that we do a long view when it comes to members. And I think it's so important because it almost feels like in your, in your ministry journey, you have been through several conversions yourself that you are not even close to the same minister that you began as and so just for a moment if if, if you could just kind of share uh with people how you train ministers now and how that would probably be different than how you used to train them then yeah you know then you wanted results <laughs> you wanted to see results weekly all the time you had to see the the stats um a lot of pressure mm. and i i like to grow things i mean i was born in iowa oh and you what know, part of you, iowa you come to my house uh northeast iowa uh waterloo area waterloo so, yeah actually, yeah and yeah yeah it's not too far from waterloo west union iowa small town in northeast iowa mm. so I, I have a lot of roots up there family up there so I love growing things. And so you come to my house, I got I got a couple rooms just full of cactus and plants. Oh. Then outdoors, I have more, more plants and then I have a garden, even though it's Texas. And so I love <laughs> growing things. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, it takes time to grow something. Mm. It just doesn't happen. And I'm much more concerned about um, form than I am function. Hmm. And what I mean by that is it's, you know what, your character is so important to me, not just what you can produce. Mm. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if your character is growing, if you're growing as a man or a woman of God, now certainly you go in the ministry, you gotta have some ability. I mean, you gotta either be able to, you have great people skills, preaching skills, you can be fruitful. I mean, you, you gotta have some qualities that, okay, yeah, this person can be successful. Then they're not just a, good Christian, but every, every full-time minister needs to be a good Christian, but there's something there that you can work with or work on. And I think character is so huge because if, if an individual is willing to put the time and the effort in willing to suffer, uh, to grow through mm -hmm. adversity, hardship, and they show that character, then, then God's going to bless them. Um, they'll, 
you know, my, my joke is, do you know how many churches I've led? No. And people will, yeah, like people, well, I don't know. Then they'll go out, throw out some numbers, and I say one. Dallas Church is the first church that my wife and I started leading. This is it. This will be the only church probably that we ever lead, just one. And, but, you know, I went through so many stupid things when I was younger. And again, it was more like, hey, what, what can you produce? What can you do? Um, and, and I think I've seen a lot of really talented people fail is because people were more concerned about what they could produce and not their character. Mm -hmm. And if they would have just given them more time to develop their character, they'd still be here and they'd be incredible leaders. Um, but they got short-circuited um, because they got into a system that was, you know, produce, produce, produce. And I'm just grateful for how God has allowed us to survive in some ways yeah. and then to create an environment here in Dallas and in Texas that, okay, you know what? We can be patient. Uh, we can work with people. Not only, I'm not talking about just the church. I'm talking about the staff. And I can work with the staff and work on their character and, and help them grow as individuals. And, you know, they'll be in it for the long run. You know, they'll be able to sustain this ministry job for 30, 40 years. Um, it won't just be a, you know, a flash in the pan. And, you know, it's like two, three years and they're done. Now, again, if that's, if they, some people do that, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, they're, one of my one of the, my elders, who's one of my best friends, was in the ministry for two years up in Kansas, and he got out because he's like, you know, the ministry is not for me. Mm -hmm. But he was a great businessman, and he became our board president. He became one of our elders, and guess what? He understands ministry, and so he's a huge advocate for the staff um, because he gets it. He gets the pressure, um, but but he realized he didn't need to be in the ministry, and that's okay. There's there's, there's a place for people like that uh, in the church. We need people like that in the church. And in fact, some of my best leaders are former staff people. Oh, yeah. I have some incredible foundational <laughs> people here in Dallas that were unbelievably gifted, talented people. And they still preach every once in a while. They serve in certain areas. And, uh, but God's put them in different places now. What's something that you have found? I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a, just an audible here. One of the things I care very much about is connecting the generations. And so what have you found has been helpful for building trust between the older and the younger generations? So we have a, are you talking about on staff or are you just talking about the church as a whole? As a whole, as a whole. Good, good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, for us, uh, we have a very diverse staff and you know, my thing is God has put me in a position that I have a lot of authority. Influence is probably a better word. And I have no desire to bear this burden by myself. And so my philosophy is if I'm going to go down, I'm taking a lot of people with me. And so that means I'm like, I get input. What do you think? What do you think? um get get input and so like on staff you know we have a lot of younger people and younger than my age we'll put it that way and very few older than me there's a few older than me but not many 
and but I get their input too. And I think it's the same as the church when you create an environment of openness and vulnerability. Hey, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, what ideas do you have? And a lot of great ideas do come up and I want to sit and listen. Again, it's not who's right, it's what's right. And so if a 20 year old comes up to me with a great idea, it's going to get traction because it's a great idea, not because it was brought by a 20 year old. Um, same thing with men, women, different ages, ethnicity, backgrounds, color, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's like I want to hear your ideas to build God's church. And I think people just want to be respected. And if people feel like they're respected, then they're going to be patient. They're, you know, they know they're listened to and they're going to be patient um, with the leaders. And so I think that's the kind of environment we're trying to build here in Dallas. Not that we've perfected it. <laughs> right. No, it's a process. And it's a, I really appreciate you. You in this conversation have been focused on the long view. That the way that God sees our lives, you know, it's interesting when I think of becoming a Christian, I think of the baptism date and how on my baptism date, that was just the beginning. Right. And it, it wasn't the pinnacle. It wasn't the summit. It was the bottom of the mountain in this journey that I'm taking. And what I hear you saying is that conversion, ministry, fellowship, maturity is about a journey. It's not about getting there in this lifetime. Um, and that we always have to, and I'll just say this, we always have to, I think there's two things. I think when it comes to dignity, I think you have a lot of people right now who are trying to recover their sense of dignity. And I think the church, I don't say the church, fellowships have an opportunity to help people to recover something that many of them have never had. And that's their humanity. That's their dignity. Becoming a Christian mm -hmm. gives you dignity. It gives you a way to work through what you've been through. It gives you a way to name the things that God wants to use to work in other people's lives. It gives you a ministry for your misery. I think the other thing that it gives you is a way to use your gifts. Churches, you can look at the research, churches that are growing, that sustain growth, they have people who are active in their gifts. And I, and I just wanna say for our audience, I'm going to Dallas this week, it's, it's weird that, so it's interesting, Todd and I, we're doing this interview now, we thought about doing it in Dallas. Long story short, I'm going uh, to uh, Dallas to do, to speak at the small church conference. And let me just tell you, man, they got people using their gifts. I've been on the phone with Renee. Uh, her and I have been on the phone over the last couple of days a lot. <laughs> She's good. She, she, she works in TV yeah. broadcasting and all that. Anyway, long story short, I can tell that you really believe that your, your fellowship believes in people being active in their gift. And I just want to say, for those who are trying to figure out how to heal, I'm going to do a different video on this idea of using your gifts to heal from trauma. If you want to move forward, and if you are emotionally stuck, you, you feel like you, you've been scarred or whatever, being active in your gift helps you to work through the trauma. It helps you to work through your depression or your anxiety. Be active in your gift. And, and Todd, I, I just feel like that's part of at the heart of what you're saying is you've got people who, it's easier to trust one another when I know that another person isn't trying to shut my gift down, right? And then I want to bring theirs out. And there's this symbiotic relationship that we can develop in healthy churches. So I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share along any of those lines? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and I love that line of thought. I remember about 10 years ago, John Louie, 
who actually just moved to Dallas, uh, him and Karen, which I'm really excited about uh, with some of their um, good enough parenting, uh, what they're going to be doing for the Dallas and other churches. But I remember him and I having a long conversation exactly to this point. Hmm. And, and I called it like the, the whole discipleship mentality is that the God is in this, in the spirit of recreating us. Hmm. And, you know, we, we go from our brokenness into our walk with the father. And then, and then as we mature and grow to be more like his son, obviously we die. And then, and then we're in his presence, but, but it's hmm. a process of the discipleship. John called it reparenting and the body, the relationships, the fullness of God's relationships allows us to heal our brokenness and, and to work through our hurts, our dysfunctions and, and become uh, all the things that you're talking about right here and using our gifts to be able to love people, to serve people, to make, to, you know, then again, John's theology bearing fruit, yeah. you know, I think not only other disciples, but also serving the poor, uh, serving those in need, loving people, um, using our gifts to do those things. It's like, wow, this is this person is totally using the blessings that God has given them, and, and they just radiate love and th- th- that kind of relationship. Even in, even in hard times, even in difficult times, hmm. you can tell, okay, there's something different about them. So I appreciate this, what you're saying right now. Well, I before we get ready to to close it down and bring it in for a landing, I just want to say for for many of our our audience members, I, I I really find this conversation to be productive and beneficial. And the reason why I say that is because one of the things I've noticed in this whole ministry is when you name something, it really helps people quite a bit. Like people love it when you name things, but the thing you've got to do after you name it is you've got to start helping people to move forward and to heal really at a, at a profound level. And so I, that's one of the challenges, so to speak, of, of this ministry and of this channel is that you got to name it. And, and I think a lot of people are, are just naming the thing that they have felt for maybe a decade or whatever it may be. They're naming it. And so as we name something, we can become emotional we can, um, you know, just need, we just need to go through a process of refining things. And so I think a lot of people are just naming things, whether it be religious trauma, whether it be legalism, amen. And the next part of what God has for all of us is growth, is repair, is healing. It's not just naming it. It's not just being stuck in lament. Um, it's not just, you know, being in that gear, I think it's important for us to move forward. And so I just thank you for this conversation today. You've really helped us to not just name, but you've helped us to have a perspective, Todd, about how to move forward. And I think to your point, you said, you know, 90% of people want to be disciples. I think a lot of people want to move forward. A lot of people want to heal. A lot of people want to put the past into perspective. And so that also will be a process. And that's part of what this channel and what this ministry is about as well. It's about creating perspective for the things that have happened to us. And what do we do with those things now? So Todd, thank you for helping to contribute to this very multi-layered conversation, my brother. Yeah, amen. Kyle, I really appreciate it. Thank you for thinking of me. It's an honor. And I'm very um, encouraged and definitely look forward to seeing you this week in Dallas and get some FaceTime and talk a little bit more. And I'm sure there'll be other times, other thoughts we'll be engaging on. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I want to say to you what I said to all my guests, that we are with you and God is for you, my brother. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Love you. Love you. And for those of watching, I want to thank you so much for staying through the entirety of the video. So many of you, you don't just stay to the end. You watch them over and over and over again. And I don't think that this interview will be an exception to that. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe. I just reached, I can't believe it, 2,000 subscribers. What are you guys doing? Um, and I always hope that people are reading their Bibles just as much as they're watching these videos. <laughs> I love you guys. I'll see you next time.